0: It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad
1: Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Browning from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the first, I believe, in Skinny Podcast history without Richard Skinner. I'm Jed Musi filling in for Skinny. He is. On the left coast covering the Chargers and Bengals. You can see all of his work from that game on local12.com. But we figured we could not just not have a podcast after the Crosstown shootout. So I'm joined by Rick Brewing of Musketeer Report, Chad Brendel of Bearcat Journal. Gentlemen, thanks for letting me pinch hit here.
0: Could be an upgrade. See how it goes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, The Crosstown, 62-47. The Bearcats get the win Uh, They looked dominant, really, in every aspect of the game. We'll get into the game a little bit, but just your initial thoughts on the game. Chad, we'll start with you.
0: Um, Defensively, this team is starting to play really, really well. I think the more that we get to see them, the more this looks like what you expect a McCronin team to look like. They're physical. They're aggressive. Um, Offensively, they're a little better than I think I thought they were going to be. I don't know what others thought, but I think they're like 57 in adjusted offense on Ken Palm, which is seven spots off of last year. And last year was supposed to be really good. This year you're supposed to be struggling to replace Clark and Evans in Washington. Um, but overall they they had a really good game plan. I thought they forced X to do things that you know X wasn't necessarily wanting to do, settling for jump shots. When they did get into the lane, everything was heavily contested controlling the glass, controlling the turnover margin, um, in a in a scripted Mick Cronin win, mm-hmm. that's what it looks like.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and I was going to ask you that. Is that the best way Mick Cronin can win a game based on everything that you just said? Yeah.
0: I mean, that, that's what he wants to do. He wants to I mean, grind you It's like you Paul down.
1: Westhead winning 141 to 140, right, really, is right. what Mick did on Saturday, Rick, I know before the game in podcast with Skinny, you were saying this is a game that you expected UC to win. Did you expect UC to win it in the way that they did? Did you expect it to be that much of a dominant performance from the Bearcats?
2: No, I, I, I mean t- – if it was 10 points, I think that would have been expected. It getting to 15 and it being 20 at one point in the second half, it got definitely got away from Xavier in a way that I didn't think it necessarily would. But I had talked to Chad. I thought this is either going to be a blowout win for UC where the game gets away from them or it's going to be a close game that UC wins probably. I mean, I didn't really see a scenario where Xavier pulled it out simply because Xavier's strengths this year and the way they need to win games is exactly how UC wants to win games, and they're way better at that style already. They know how to play mm. that style. I mean, I think you go back to last year's team with – Three N or two NBA players on it, and Kyle Washington was a really good offensive player. This style didn't necessarily wasn't necessarily ideal for them, but they still played it. So the guys that are now in the system and this this style is ideal for them. This is what they've been doing. This is their culture. This is their program. It's it's exactly how UC's been playing and wants to play under Mick Cronin. It works great with this group. With Xavier's team, they have a group that's more fit to play that style, but they've been winning games the last few years with right. guys who. Feed off of offensive momentum and go on 15-0 runs by hitting a few threes in a row, and then they kind of slack off for a few plays or take a play off. They didn't look as comfortable committing to that style for 40 minutes. I thought right around maybe the 12-10, somewhere in between that 12-10 to minute mark of the second half, it was right in that spot where it was like seven, eight points teetering on that edge. where. Trevor Moore three. That's what I was just going to say. Either UC was going to take control of the game, or Xavier was going to fight their way back in. You see, had a couple plays where it's like, okay, they're pulling away. But then Xavier answered. Ryan Welch hit a big three from deep that kind of got it back within reach. And then right after that, I mean, you had just a few plays where I thought Xavier lost their composure, one of them being like Paul Scruggs drove, the ball's bouncing around, he gets an offensive rebound, goes up, he gets blocked from behind, it goes out, leads to a run out for UC. Another play, Najee Marshall – I think he did get fouled, um, but after he gets fouled, he starts complaining to official. Xavier kind of stops. UC throws a head in transition, and then Najee sprints down and commits a foul 30 feet from the basket, just kind of losing his head and losing his composure. And I think if you're a Xavier fan, that's where you're really disappointed. And right after that was the Trevor Moore heavily contested three with two seconds left on the shot clock. That kind of put the game away. And I think one thing we've heard a lot about since the game ended was UC's dominance on defense not letting Xavier get any looks. I think something that's been overshadowed is how much better UC looked offensively and their guys stepping up and making big shots when the game called for it than they had like in the Ohio State game, for instance. They've oh, come yeah. a long way in that regard in just you know about a month. They
0: they stopped taking threes, or at least a well, large. But,
2: but come on now, I mean Jaron Cumberland nailed two massive no, 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 threes but from I'm saying, deep. You had Trevor Moore hit the big. I'm three. saying when
0: you when you compared to the Ohio State game, they were chucking threes early in the shot clock. They were firing them often. And they're not a good shooting team. So they cut back from 23s a game. I think they're averaging 12 or 13, which is probably right for them. And they had a night where, yeah, Jaron got cooking a little bit. And then Trevor hit the one. Justin hit one. Um, But they're not. I think when you talk about, like, last year's team a little bit, that team settled for threes quite a bit. Now they had good shooters. Kyle could knock them down. Gary could knock them down. You had Evans that could shoot it. Jaron could shoot it. Kane was like 38, 39% from mm-hmm. three last year. But I, they settled for those quite a bit. This team's not settling. They're playing downhill, and thus the emergence of Keith Williams. Um, Fantastic who, game. He's he's so unorthodoxed. Like, it's hard to really get put a finger on his game because he, he doesn't have great feel. He's not a guy you want dribbling five, six, seven, eight times. But you put him in there and when the bright lights come on so far, what we've seen since Mick inserted him into the starting lineup, the kid's ready to go make plays. And, and a couple of his dunks yesterday, I thought, really gave Cincinnati momentum, especially in that first half when they, it was 18-14 X. Trey Scott got one off the inbounds play and then Keith gets one in transition right after that. And it seemed like that really sparked, started a spark. And then Cumberland hits a couple threes to kind of feed off of it, and they were rolling.
2: Yeah, I mean, he also had a massive block from behind yeah. during the stretch that I was talking about, where you see kind of took control. Um, he hit a nice step back jumper that really I don't think is part of his game yet, but he had the confidence. He kind takes of flowing.
0: It quite a, a decent amount. That's yeah, a, that, and that's, that's, and that's the shot you want him to take yeah, as that, a defense. That, that, I mean, that's the Rucker Park in him,
2: right? And and <laughs> and you know he is a New York kid through and through, and I think oh, yeah. that's what you saw. He's. When the big lights are on, Xavier had a couple guys that didn't look like they wanted to be a part of that with the game on the line, and Keith Williams wanted everything to do with it. I mean, if I'm a UC fan, I'm really encouraged by the way guys stepped up on the offensive end, every bit as much as I am the defensive end. Yeah, because you knew they could do this defensively, especially against a Xavier team that isn't very good on offense right now. Well,
0: it's like what I talked about, Rick. If I'd have told you that they were going to be within seven spots of
2: last year's team on offense, you'd have told me I was a crazy person. Sort of, but I think, again— Last year's team was held back a little bit on the offensive end playing this style. I mean, and they're doing different things offensively, of course, but they're still slowing it down, playing that grind it out. Mick wants to be super in control and micromanage possessions. That's perfect for this team. That's exactly how you want to play with this team. So I don't, I'm not surprised there's not a huge fluctuation between the two because this fits them perfectly.
1: (laughs) Well, just to step in here, one of the comments uh, after the game that, that has sort of stuck with me that I want your guys' to take on, and maybe I'm being unfair holding Quentin Good into this statement, but he said that he hadn't seen a defense like Cincinnati's after the game, and he he the soundbite continued, and he had a hard time sort of identifying what they were doing. You, you, you talked about sort of why Xavier fans should be disappointed. Is it disappointing to have your point guard say, I don't know what they were doing, as opposed to we didn't we weren't effective against what they were doing? Um, I, th- I think Quentin's a little confused because
2: he saw the same defense last year, and he did pretty well right. against it. Um, what happened that was different this year is UC said, we are going to pack it in, and then when Xavier came out and went three for 15 in the first half from three, They doubled down on that and said, now you're not going to get the ball in the paint ever, and you're not going to throw the ball into the post. You're going to have to make a three to beat us, and Xavier couldn't do that. So for Quentin to say he hadn't seen it, I think it was more sometimes guys give quotes because they want to get an interview over with, and I, I get what he's saying. Like, UC plays that matchup zone. First of all, the matchup zone is kind of unique in itself, but UC plays it unlike pretty much any team in the country. They're very, very good at what they do, and when you can't make a three... And they're just going to pack that in tighter and tighter. And, I mean, literally, when you go back and watch the film, you'll see some of the three Xavier's shooting, UC has five defenders in the lane when Xavier's taking that three. And people are saying, you got to get the ball inside. you got to attack. you got to get in the post. I don't know you can do that against this UC defense with all its length and athleticism when five guys are in the lane. Eventually, like Travis Steele said in his postgame press conference, you have to make one of those wide-open threes or it's going to be really,
1: really, really, really difficult. You have to play... A perfect game everywhere else to beat this UC team. Chad, did you notice any any nuance to their defense or to UC's defense, or was it basically execution to the highest level?
0: They've made some changes in the way that they play the the, the matchup. Um, Ralph Willard is the one that that originated created this defense. He came up uh, when there was an opening on the coaching staff. He was potentially in line to slide in for a year so he came up for a a day and spent the day with Mick and spent the day with the staff uh deciding if he was going to come out of retirement or not Mm -hmm. he decided not to but he did spend the day going over some new stuff he had come up with for that defense um so there are a couple wrinkles but ultimately it's still the matchup zone that they've been using It, it is it can be confusing but Rick is exactly right and you have to hit some shots to get them out of it we saw it with NKU. They, they they couldn't consistently hit the shots to stretch them out. And if you don't do that, you're right. They just – I think – actually, I'll, I'll credit uh, P-Doc. Said it's like watching an ana- anaconda eat a rat uh, in his column today. And it, that's what they do. They just squeeze you out. And if you can't make them come out of it, and now especially you've got Nyseer Brooks playing with some confidence as a rim protector – Trey Scott's doing a good job at that. Keith Williams, um, I think there was a lot of question on. Jacob Evans erased a lot of mistakes last year with his athleticism on the back end of the defense on the weak side. Keith Williams is starting to do that now. He might do it better already. Yeah.
2: Like in terms of the actual cleaning up, from behind getting a blocker, tipping a ball from behind or whatever he is elite at that he has really long arms and he's super yeah. explosive so it makes sense but the other thing that i thought really stood out about uc's defense in this one something you don't appreciate i think when you watch the game on tv sometimes that in, in person you really get a good feel for is jaron cumberland is not a good one-on-one on the ball defender but his team his, defender is awesome his sense of um being able to predict what's going to happen is feel for like just understanding where the ball's going and and um jumping like a passing not not necessarily like he's going to jump in the passing lane and get a steal but say the ball's going in the post he sees that from the weak side sometimes and just comes underneath and knocks the ball like he makes plays like that that I don't think I always realize when I watch them on tv and in person I've really noticed how often he's making a play of where he's just reading something and um anticipating it ahead of time
0: that's something that We all thought when he coming out of high school, this kid's not going to be able to defend because he's doesn't have great lateral quickness. He's not a bouncy athlete. He got even his freshman year. He got here. and, And what you're talking about, you have to be in person to really catch it. But that stuff started to show up pretty early where it was like, man, he just understood that that ball was going there like that's not what the defense told him he's supposed to do.
2: Yeah. Like honestly, sometimes he goes outside the system where it's kind of like, that would be a bad play if he doesn't get it, but,
0: but he gets it. He
2: gets it. And and he does it. Like there's also the time late in the game where Quentin Gooden got the, uh, it was almost an over and back call. He ended up just throwing it out of bounds. Yeah. That was simply Jaron coming way out. He was packed inside and they didn't want to be guarding Quentin Gooden far from the basket, but he saw Wellage telegraphing a pass all the way high up by mid court. And he just went ahead and went after it. And like, forced that,
1: that pressure to, yeah. to Quentin Good in a bad spot. How much of what Jared is doing is that intangible killer instinct that was talked about after the game? Mick Cronin has been after him. What was the line? You can't force someone to want to cut somebody's heart out. How much of the way he plays in sort of the areas where it didn't look like he was going to be effective, how much has his will sort of put him in a position to do some things that Mick Cronin has been asking him to do?
0: I don't think he's all the way there yet, but I do think that kid loves the Crosstown shootout. <laughs> I think we've seen that three years in a row Which, now. Which,
1: before this game, it was hard to find a kid from UC that yeah. would go on the record saying that this wasn't just another game, and that proved to be lip service the way they played. Yeah, he
0: he he comes up big. I mean, he had, what, 15 the past two years, as freshman and sophomore year? Yeah. Uh, one year where UC couldn't score at all, basically, and Jaron was doing everything he could. Um, and then the big game this year Uh, the kid loves playing in that game and he seems to be one of those kids the problem with him is and what Mick's been working on you don't have to worry about him against Xavier
2: or any of the big games right that's what I'm getting at you don't
0: have to worry about that what you got to worry about is you're playing ECU on a Tuesday night and this team can't afford you know like when they went to UNLV they're they're miraculously lucky they got out of there with that win with jaron cumberland scoring three points right but that's the type of game that he's gotta he's he's had some struggles on the road um i think that's something he's gonna have to to figure out like they're they 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 can not beat mississippi state next week if jaron cumberland has three points it's not gonna work um so i think it's getting there what mick wants out of him but it's in the big games, he's a big game guy. Like, he shows up for those. That's not the ones you got to worry about.
2: I think Mick had a pretty good quote when he said, all conference guys show up in the big games. Yeah. All American guys show up every night. And that that's
1: absolutely right about yeah. Jaron
2: Cumberland right now. You just need to see the consistency for him to reach that next level. Absolutely.
1: One of the other topics after the game that was discussed, I know Mick Cronin talked about it. I think Travis did as well, talking about the Crosstown shootout being a team's first road game of the year first true road game. It was the first true road game for X this year. It was the first true road game for UC last year. The coaches think there's something to that. Do you guys think there's something to that? And what's the alternative if this can't be the first road game of the year? Does this game have to move back into the conference schedule for these teams?
2: Well, here's the only thing I would say about that. Like, I agree it's not ideal, but flip like, the teams. You know what I mean? Like, say Xavier played was playing their first road game last year at UC. They still beat that UC team in that game. Flip it this year. UC still comes to Xavier if it's their first road game and beats the Xavier team. And
1: it would would it would it have been beneficial for Xavier to play at the Kohl Center this year before playing UC at 5th-3rd? It definitely... No.
2: It, it, like, it, in a way it would. And the, the only reason I say that is because... And I think it's the same thing that Mick and... I don't know if Travis said anything about it or not, but coaches would be getting at. And it's that... What happened to Xavier was you miss a few threes and you just kind of, you get tight, you know? And when you haven't had that feeling yet on the road and you got the hostile crowd really rattling, I think it gets a little tougher, especially when that first one is the biggest environment you'll play all year. You know, you, you see a few rattle out, you see one lip out the way Najee had early, and all of a sudden that shot's an airball. Now, is that, the, is that the crowd? Is it playing in, in your first road game? I don't know. But I could see there being something to it. That being said, I still don't think it's
1: like the difference in the game by any stretch. But is it counterintuitive to schedule a non-conference road game of measure before that game just to prepare for the Crosstown shootout? I, is it I, is it I, smart I, to go play at Wisconsin because you're going to play at Cincinnati? No. I just don't think that it's, don't makes think sense. It's, it's, it basically
2: it. just depends on when the shootout's scheduled right. by TV. I mean, you really don't get to dictate it, so you kind of just have to live with it, I yeah. think. If this well, happens, it happens. Like –
0: the way Cincinnati has been scheduling this first two week stretch in December is when their games are the, the big out of conference games outside of Ohio state this this year, next year to open the season. But that's a special deal. It just so happened that the last two years, Xavier has been the first game really in that stretch. So do you, you can't, just change all that around. You can't move
1: heaven and earth just for this game, right? I mean, or should it, you try?
0: Right. Well, I mean, if you look at it like, take, like I said, taking Ohio State out of the equation because that was a special deal because the, the arena was opening. Um, you have like three or four games, then you have your holiday tournament. Right. Then you get back from your holiday tournament. You'd like to get one or two games in before you get to the shootout. Where where do you work in a really tough November <laughs> road game? Road game? Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't really add up. And then you you want like UC's got now where they had UNLV, then NKU, then Xavier, then Mississippi State, then UCLA, and then you kind of get that little break for Christmas, and then you're into conference play. I think you want that leading up to conference play. I don't think you want to start playing that stuff in November. And right. get a big wide gap in between there. I I don't think you can say we're scheduling a high major game, you know, in November just so that we don't ha- the the shootout isn't the first.
2: Yeah. Now know. like some years that's gonna work out because like Xavier does have the Gavit games, right? Like had Xavier played right. at Michigan or at Wisconsin this year, yeah, that probably would have helped somewhat. But again, they're still probably not winning that game, regardless. So I don't think it's that big of a deal.
1: And, and even Ohio State acknowledged the fact that playing at Cincinnati and then two games later at Creighton was was sort of a scheduling snafu. Yeah, it's not smart to do that. No. So they,
0: I mean they they got that they got out of that unscathed as a right. freaking miracle. <laughs> right. But you don't want your two of your first three games to be at Cincinnati at Creighton. Those are two pretty hostile environments.
1: <laughs> right. So they're battle-tested, and, and they did get out of that. This woman's a hell of a coach, by the way. Yeah, he's he's really good, as you guys have mentioned on this podcast before. Okay, last thing on the shootout. Do we need to adjust the floor for Xavier or the ceiling for UC based on this game? Both? Neither? Do expectations change based on what you saw Saturday?
2: I don't think it changes necessarily based on what i saw saturday but i do think just in general from where we started the season we are trending in that direction and this game just affirmed it like reaffirmed it I mean, we saw uc was clearly looking like oh you know what this might be a mick type team that does that the other thing you have to remember is they have the american conference and this is not a slight at them at all but we saw xavier teams over the years when they were in the a10 where if, had they been playing in the Big East or something like that, they would have probably struggled with confidence because they would have lost a lot of games. But instead, you get to play some teams that aren't as good in your conference. You build up right. some confidence as you go. and By the end of the year, you're a pretty darn good team when maybe your talent wasn't as good as it was a year ago. With Xavier, I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough to win games in this conference because the, the floor of the conference is really high. The, the top of the conference isn't as good this year in the Big East, but there are no easy wins at all. Like DePaul does not suck, even though they have a tendency to blow big leads. They keep getting big leads on people, so they're not going to be an easy out. Georgetown looks pretty good. Creighton's better than expected. Xavier might be the eighth, ninth, tenth team in this Seton conference. Hall, which we'll get to. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: they're in a Xavier's in a rough spot. My here's what here's what I want to get with Rick on. So, did they miscalculate? in changing a little bit of what they were recruiting? Or is it just going – do you think it's going to take time to – because I think when obviously Quentin Gooden, Paul Scruggs, Najee Marshall are not similar to the type of guy they had been recruiting. Would you say that they changed the philosophy a little bit knowing we're chasing Villanova and we need bigger, more physical, more Big East-ready guards – Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's what they were doing, yes. So now they're kind of caught, though, right? Because those guys don't fit offensively what had been the system. Is it a matter
2: of another class on top of them? That's not why they're caught. They're caught because they were trying to recruit balance, which they did with these guys. They brought in these athletic dudes to kind of back up the Trayvon JP class that was really skilled. Now, the issue is, the class that was supposed to back up these guys, your skilled guys, like happened. Jared Ritter, yeah. who just transferred out without ever playing at Xavier. And um, other, Elias Harden has not panned out to be an offensive player. Like, And then this past freshman class, I mean, Keontae Kennedy has shown some promise to where maybe he'll be a player down the road. But he's but not ready knew, to help now. You knew coming in, he wasn't going to be ready to help now. So the last class being a total bust certainly hurt them as well. But really, the last few classes in terms of not finding that next group of skilled guys and... Kaiser gates train or deciding to leave unexpectedly. Like if you have a senior Kaiser gates hitting threes and defending at the four, instead of being like, hopefully Ryan Woolwich can give us a few minutes. That's, that's a pretty big difference on this year's roster. Now, do I think it wins them a ton more games? No, but it certainly helps, especially in a game like yesterday. So, I think that's more the issue is that kind of that backup group that was supposed to replace or or help fill in. No, I feel you. That makes sense. And you know, as well as I know, at this level, that's what happens. Like, it's nice to say, hey, you need to recruit balance and be good offensively and defensively. Have athleticism and size and skill. But we've seen UC over the years sell out to be good defensively. It's hard to get the offense if you're doing that because you've got to keep finding those athletic, tough dudes. Xavier's done the opposite. They kept trying to find those skilled guys. They got them. Well, then they came back and got the athletic guys. Well, it was hard to find more skill guys to fit in. You can't keep doing it unless you try a bunch of pieces because you're going to miss on several. So they just got caught, and that's how it is at this level. You're not elite.
0: The other thing, are you surprised these guys aren't better defensively?
2: I am. um, I think the biggest issue to me on this team, the thing that I'd be most discouraged by is they totally lack leadership. Um, Najee and Quentin are their biggest problem, to be honest, most of the time. I think people are being unfair to Quentin the way he's playing offensively. Like yesterday, I thought he was one of their better players offensively. He's taking some bad shots, but he's forced to because well, yeah, their offense isn't did. creating <laughs> any yeah. looks. Um, defensively, the fact that those guys aren't giving them any energy, they're giving up on some plays. They're sometimes the breakdown in the play because they're losing sight or losing focus, and they're not talking. Like the number one thing, if you're going to get better offensively or defensively, is chemistry and talking. You can hear UC. They're communicating all those trade-offs when they're in their matchup zone. Xavier? They're silent. And the new guys don't know. The grad transfers don't know enough to be talking. It has to come from Tyreek, Najee, Quentin. It's just not yet. And I think we've seen some immaturity from Najee. We've seen Quentin just struggle to step into that role after taking over for JP and, and Trayvon
1: yeah is it too much to ask for Quentin not only to help to replace the scoring that they lost with McCure and Blewett but also to replace the leadership as well
2: I don't think it is he's a top 100 recruit he's a he's a big time four-star guy that's why you land those is types it going of guys to take
1: more time then
2: yes and I, and I think it's unfair to be saying like he's not good enough to play at this level all of a sudden when You've seen him be effective for Should be in the years. Southern Conference. Yeah, I mean, we had that post on my message board. And it's like the
0: worst, maybe the worst post of the year.
2: You lose all credibility when you say <laughs> things like that. And this idea that guys don't improve over the course of the season and you're just but like fans are upset because they feel like the answer is sort of like the Marvin Lewis thing of we just got to be better. Got to look at tape and be better. It's a little bit different when you're bringing in a whole new group of guys trying to right. figure out new roles in one year with three new graduates. Quentin Gooden hasn't been the point guard for 16 years. Right. <laughs> exactly right. So I don't think we're quite to that point yet. Now, you get to the end of conference play, and they're still making the same mistakes, and there's still no improvement on defense. Then, yeah, you can start really criticizing some of these guys. But I think, give them a little time.
0: I think the the perfect window into what you're talking about, and it was a little bit later in the game as the lead was growing, so people might have kind of mentally checked out, but – Nazeer Brooks comes up, sets a ball screen for Cumberland. Cumberland goes left. Brooks comes back, sets a ball screen again. He goes right. And they weren't sure if they were hedging, if they were switching. You got two guys standing there with Cumberland, and Brooks just goes diagonal to the rim. Cumberland hits him with a drop down and dunk. And you could tell there just wasn't, even on the first one, there wasn't communication. And Jaron saw it. And then said, "I'll come back. We're gonna, we gotta do that again." Got him on the second one, and and the two guys just stood there and looked at each other like, "Well, what you were supposed to go with them? You were supposed to go with it." You could tell like, the communication just isn't right.
2: And I also think, it, for a lot of the game, it was pretty good. I mean, you held UC to what twenty eight points in the first half. Fantastic defense. The
0: old team's at 27 points and a half. You can win the game.
2: Yeah, the
1: next the next few minutes of the second We half, learned that in the first game for UC, yeah.
2: Pretty darn good defense. But then when things started to get out of hand a little bit, they felt maybe a bad call went against them or something like that, then they checked out mentally and lost focus. And it's like that's where this team has to change because that's what last year's team did a lot. Problem is they had all that skill to make up for it and yeah. they played a different way. This year's team has to realize – you can't check out ever. And there ain't a
0: lot of 15 0 runs in this team's future.
2: No, and and being down 12 with eight minutes to go isn't the time to check out of a game. Like that's inexcusable in a rivalry game, especially against UC who's not exactly an offensive juggernaut. You can come back from 12 down against those guys, but not if you're gonna start giving up easy looks on the defensive end. So that's where I, I don't think you're gonna see Xavier change like their system, but that's where they have to learn to be more like UC in their style is they have to lock in for 40 minutes and be ready to fight and understand. We're going to get beat up inside. We're not going to get calls sometimes. we got to play through it and be tough mentally and physically.
0: That's why I said the Vegas game was good for UC because they went on the road. There were a lot of fouls, in that. the The, the whistle was not 50-50. But that can be a good thing if you win the game because right. you learn things aren't going to go our way, and we've got to figure out a way to win in spite of that. And Xavier's just not there yet.
1: UC's confidence Pretty high right now as they embark on, on a pretty tough stretch as they welcome UCLA and then they go uh, no, first, on the road. Uh, first to Mississippi State. First to Mississippi State, okay. And then
0: UCLA at home next the, the following week.
1: the fo- Okay, I think that's a Wednesday yeah. game. So, realistically, before we get to the conference schedule for UC, what, what should the expectations be after this win?
0: I mean, they need to. They they've got to split these two games. You got to figure out a way to win one of Mississippi State and UCLA, and I don't think it's that difficult of a task. I think both of these games are winnable. Um, Mississippi State, I I couldn't have been happier when I heard they hit nineteen threes yesterday, because that's a team that's a thirty two percent team from 3. If they hit 19 yesterday, 19 of 30 I think it was. Used them all up. The odds say <laughs> right, law of averages. You probably fired fired a lot of those bullets. Um and then UCLA, I I can't I can't erase what we saw last year when they played them in Pauley and they punked them. And maybe that wakes UCLA up and they know they need to be tougher this year. But that's not a Steve Alford trait. As I happens. don't see it in this gym. I don't either.
2: Maybe if they were going back to Poly again this year, but I don't see it in this gym with this team. I, I don't either.
0: I, I think I think they get that one. I think they've got a chance to get Mississippi State. And boy, if they if they come out of that five game stretch five and zero, oh, I don't think anybody would have seen that coming. I, I
2: got I got a hard time a little bit when we were talking about this on the pod. I think it was the one I did with Skinny, not the one we did together, but. Do you not agree with me that that Crosstown shootout really changes a lot of perspective in terms of the fan base and how they feel about this team and program and Mick Cronin in a way right now, just like the temperament? I don't mean it's like, oh, we'd be on the hot seat or anything like that, but I felt like a lot of fans kind of felt like they weren't bought in on this team yet yeah. based off of one, they weren't as talented as last year and people knew that coming in, but two, the way everything ended, the start of Ohio, Ohio State, State now yeah. it's like you better beat someone good before we're really going to believe any of this. I if think they yeah. lose that game to Xavier when they have a significant advantage in terms of how they're playing. I feel like fans would have checked out on Mick to a certain extent for the rest of the season until say prove it in the tournament.
0: I, I agree. I, well, I, now
2: I, you're pretty excited. Like, we got momentum. There's two games ahead of us that are pretty big games if you win
1: both of them. The media may think UC is better than the media thought UC was before yesterday's <laughs> game. Who knows? That was impressive, Mick trying to make it clear that <laughs> he doesn't listen or
2: hear anything that the media says, but he knows his team does hear what the media thinks that they say
1: or thinks that oh, you think. Hopefully Local 12 can buy some. I don't know <laughs> Local 12 can buy some ad time on Showtime five minutes before Ray Donovan. <laughs> That While Mick's be, uh, making his popcorn to, to <laughs> convey what we think about about UC. But, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think UC should be confident in the way they play because, like we said before, Chad, they won this game the way Mick Cronin wants to win games. Textbook. Absolutely textbook. They finished at the rim. Uh, they had a couple
0: – in close that they should have probably converted, but they didn't, but they finished at the rim. They knocked in some timely jump shots.
2: And the great thing is I don't think anyone expects them to make all those this year. Like they know this team is handicapped in certain ways. Offensively, they're exceeding those expectations already on offense. The defense is exactly what you'd expect. Maybe even a little better.
0: I mean, we talked all, all, all year about them developing a third score. They might have four. Yeah. Because you've got Kane and Jaron that are going to be pretty consistent. And, So far, Keith and and Trey Scott now are maybe not threats to hit 18, 19, 20 but they're pretty consistently
2: getting 10 to 12. See, I think Keith is, is a threat any night to explode at this point. Like, I think he's only going to get better. Trey, I think, is kind of riding a hot wave right now. And even still, he only had 10 points yesterday. It's not like, like he played really well, but he's not a guy that's going to kill you on offense. So I don't think he's a guy you want to start relying on and throwing it into a lot. No, like, but he's a third or a fourth guy. He certainly can help. And he's he's... He has totally exceeded my expectations for this year. I will say I was totally wrong on Trey Scott. He is much better this year than I expected him to be. I mean, he had a couple nice buckets yesterday. Yeah, he's that's the thing. With touch from like eight feet. He's making some shots. It's not consistently, and it's not a ton of – he's not producing a ton, but he's making a few shots where it's like, wow, that's – We'll see if it continues because I do feel like he's playing with some confidence right now, especially after the NKU game where he went to the line 165 times and made every single one. I think that helped him a little bit. But even in the UNLV game, he had some mid-range jumpers free-throw line extended where I thought that seems to kind of be
1: a sweet spot. Yeah, Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and and Travis Steele got punched in the mouth. And now this team, Xavier, has to develop a plan going forward. What do you need to see from the Musketeers in the remainder of their non-conference schedule to kind of reignite some hope in this team before they get into the Big East stretch.
2: Yeah, I think they're in an interesting spot because you do have to get more out of Quentin Good and Naji Marshall, and you have to get better leadership. And it's it's the type of stuff where you want to say you got to sit them down, even just to send a message, even knowing you may it may cost you a game. Or the problem is, who do you sit them down for? Like, you might not get the ball across half court if you start sitting those guys down. <laughs> Um, wow. You just don't have depth on your bench right now, and not at those like not <laughs> so at the so we're lowering the floor. <laughs> so I just I, like I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to get better, mm-hmm. but I think they have to get used to a different mindset in terms of how they do things. And like yesterday, people were saying, "Oh, they're going only one on one on offense." I didn't see that at all. I saw them running some good things, moving the ball well, doing what you want to do. The problem is, it comes down to. UC was not going to give them a look in the paint. They had to make a wide-open three, and they couldn't do it. So I don't think that's necessarily going to get better, but I also think this Xavier team, the way they play will work better against teams
1: not named UC. Like, that is a bad, bad matchup for them this year. Is there enough meat left on their non-conference schedule for them to really even... To prove anything, not on the non-conference, but they play in the Big East
2: now, and so there's plenty of quality chances at a quality victory for them. Still make the tournament
1: without without a doubt. I'm just talking about in the next few games before the Big East. The
2: good news for Xavier fans is don't worry about your resume this year. It's not going to be a good one. Like if you're going to make the tournament, (laughs) it's going to be barely. So um, that's what I'd be worried about is just does this team progress at all? And if not, then yeah, okay. Then let's start hearing you need to see better stuff out of Travis Steele. But like to start saying he doesn't know what he's doing yet, or he isn't. These guys haven't figured it out. It's like well, of course not. You know, it's it's a little early for that. So we'll see. It's it's going to be an interesting year. I think these years can be fun for fans if they take a different approach to it and realize, hey, we're not going to win the conference this year, and that's okay. We're building towards a future with a new head coach.
1: And Travis Steele thought that the improvements to fifth third were uh, very nice. Clean. <laughs> what was that about?
2: thought it was
0: clean. What, what percentage, Did he think it was going to be dirty? What
1: percentage of college basketball coaches would have napalmed that question asker for that I think he wanted question. to, but he just was like, "I just got my." I think he's too nice. I think he's too nice. I don't think that. Like,
0: I
2: just think it like I kind of took him off guard. He's it's still early, and I just
1: don't I think, think he wants to be a guy who looks bitter after a loss, <laughs> especially in this town. I mean, okay, let's get to uh, some of the other teams in the area. NKU, obviously the, the loss earlier Rick in the week. want to talk about NK to NK uh, to UC. Uh, they uh, the buzzer beater on Saturday against EKU. Uh, any any sort of prevailing thoughts from a, a down week for the Norse? Yeah, I mean, the UC
2: game, they just it's, it stunk because they didn't even give themselves a shot in that first half. I mean, it's the same thing as Xavier game. If you're not going to hit a few shots against UC's defense, it's going to be really hard. And NKU doesn't have the size and athleticism to match up at all with them, um, whereas at least Xavier can get into the lane a little bit with some of their athleticism. NKU didn't have that option, so their only choice was to make some threes. It was never going to be a game the way it started, and I think NKU was shell shocked by the environment. To be quite honest, not-
1: okay. Finish this sentence for me. If Xavier played NKU on a neutral floor, how many points would Xavier be favored by right now?
2: Two and a half, three.
1: Probably maybe. sounds about right.
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe a little more maybe than that, five. but it's not much. I mean, UC was only favored
1: by eleven yes, against NKU. Right yeah, so and I think it was seven against Xavier.
2: Yeah, so I don't. Like I think it'd probably be a you know maybe Xavier by five. So that the difference is four. UC was favored by eleven <laughs> Hold on. over NKU, Hold on. Hold on seven now, over Xavier.
1: Right. That checks out. Checks
0: out. The difference is four. Xavier would be a four point favorite over
2: NKU. Yeah. So I, then <laughs> that's how that works, right? Yeah. The, <laughs> e- so. the EKU game, they didn't have Jalen Tate. He re-injured his groin at the end of the UC game. So that's dunk. Um, they're a different team without him, and they
1: can't keep putting guys at the free throw line. Should they just start taking Tate out like at the seven-minute mark in the second half? Just so they, It seems like he's getting a lot of these late recurring injuries. Well,
2: the thing about NKU and being in a one-bid conference is your resume does not matter at all. I mean, you want to win your conference, no. so when you get in a conference play, it matters. But like that lost EKU means absolutely nothing for this team other than it's a measuring stick for where they're at. And without Jalen Tate, I don't know that's a great measuring stick. Now they have to quit fouling people if they're going to try to win this conference. I mean, you're not going to beat right states and the teams at the top of the conference if you put them on the line 156 times. So
0: That was my takeaway from the UC game. Yeah. They foul a lot. And like, I kn-
2: and I know they want to get up in you and pressure you, and that's fun. That's you, great. you got
0: to be able to do it without fouling some.
2: And it definitely works better against Horizon League talent as opposed yeah. to UC. But you did it against EKU, too, and they're not, like, special athletically. So they've got to get that figured out. But other than that, like... Just get Jalen Tate healthy, take as many games as long as it does for him to get 100% off until after Christmas. Yeah, and then bring him back and we'll see. We'll regroup from there. But, you know, I think the one good thing from the EKU game is we finally saw Bryant Mockaby make a shot again. I don't think he had made one since the first game of the season. He gives them some depth, some size, and a guy who plays with a high IQ. But his confidence was so shot after going about 0 for this last like 25, I think, from the field that he just was a shell of himself. So. Maybe now that he's seen a few shots go down, hopefully he'll get it going again. And also, with Jalen Tate out, Trayvon Faulkner has got a lot of experience the last few games, including the UC game where he played a lot of minutes. So, that it'll be interesting to see how he develops as the season goes now that he's getting more playing time.
1: And NKU maybe got a shot in the arm with the buzzer beater from Miami over Wright State, Nature's Raiders.
2: I got a shot in the arm from that. I Nature's would, Raiders. I would like for that to just play over and over on my eyelids <laughs> as I go to sleep. Just... <laughs> Miami, Barry, and uh, I think it was Nike Sabande,
1: wasn't it? I think it was Coleman Lance. No, you're right.
2: Yeah, it was. Good that was stuff. the night of the NKU-UC game, wasn't it? So it was like a – I think it was the next night,
1: wasn't it? I think it was the same night. Was it Tuesday? Or, uh, no, it was night after. I it think was it was Wednesday. Wednesday night. Yeah, because yeah. it was when I was at the Xavier game. Right. That's what it was. It was the yeah. Xavier game. Okay, speaking of a buzzer beater for Kentucky to get to overtime against Seton Hall, that game was absolutely wild finish. You, you
0: can't let Miles Powell heat up, bro. <laughs> Rick and I have been watching Miles Powell for a long time.
2: He's not even fat anymore. Like, right. You definitely can't do it now. You somebody, couldn't do that when he was a chode.
0: Somebody asked me the other day, like, why? Because they said, who would have, that kid couldn't do that in a million years. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, <laughs> yeah. no. Miles yes, Powell can. can do that. It,
2: I, in fact, there's probably like a percentage
1: on him taking shots like that. He's right. probably taking enough that it's like, oh, he's a 33% shooter from that shot. But just it was just to recap, if you didn't see it, Seton Hall had a three-point lead over Kentucky. Final seconds of the game. Kel, Kelton well, Johnson hit one from half court. Miles Powell. Hit a, an absurd that's, three to get right. a Seton Hall
0: three-point lead. A double clutch from the left wing falling out of bounds, which is a good
2: shot for him. <laughs> I mean, let's, it's not a bad shot, for him. <laughs> right? Like, again, he's probably like thirty-three percent his lifetime on
1: that shot because he's taken sixteen of them or so. Yeah. Okay. So they they end up going to overtime, in at, at which point Seton Hall ended up winning the game. After I think it was a one point or two point victory, so big win on the road for the Big East and Kentucky's first loss since that you know opening night. First nighter. loss since
0: the the last time they played a real team.
1: Okay. Oh wow! Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. What what is, what is Kentucky? I mean, obviously you you lose it up to an unranked team, you lose it up at all, and the fan base is going to perk up. at Fire that.
2: cow! <laughs> <laughs> What's Rick Pitino doing?
1: Rich, Richie going to start? I think Rick Patino is driving his son crazy in, in Minnesota right now. But um, what have you guys seen out of Kentucky, uh, the limited that you've been able to see as they get ready to head into they, a tougher not, SEC? They're not good at point guard.
2: They're not good, period. Hey,
0: here's here's my question, Rick. <laughs> there's a lot of talk about Duke taking over, getting the best players. How long ago did Wes leave to be an agent? Because I think that kind of coincides with...
2: Oh, Uh-oh. Chad coming strong with conspiracy theories. Uh, not necessarily a conspiracy. Like, a legit theory. Wes was a big part in Cal getting the best
0: of the best kids, right?
1: Yeah, I only mean we can't really prove it. But like it's not the worst thought I've heard. But Wes well, is now an agent. That's how worldwide... He's Kaiser Soze in that way. Yeah, you, you can't prove it, but you know that he's involved. I know that it happened. <laughs> so <laughs> right, do you think the issue right. is Cal is no
2: longer <laughs> able to put... As many players on the phone with Drake and Jay-Z yeah. and LeBron? I don't know. Whatever I've the
0: – like, I don't think Wes was necessarily paying people, but Wes's thing was
2: access and, like – Yeah, power. Juice. Yeah. I thought, see, I thought Cal had gotten enough, like, once Drake decided that he was on – Clearly not. – UK's team, like, I thought maybe that was enough. but Clearly
0: not, because Wes <laughs> is
1: gone. And since Wes has been gone – Drake's only on your team until he's not.
2: Well, ones. yeah. After a loss or two, that's a good point. <laughs> They're having a that's rough right. year. He he's might, got a Duke sweatshirt right uh, yeah, now, brother. Really. Yeah, he right. might
1: have a Tennessee sweatshirt
2: on that says finesse.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's absolutely no doubt that that he's one of the biggest. Uh, but that that fans. I, that's
2: just a, a, a thought I've had. It's not the worst thought. I I I mean, this UK team just isn't as good as we expected to be. Like Keldon Johnson has great moments, but other than that, PJ Washington is their, is their best player, and he's not like a go-to bucket-getter alpha type player that you want leading your team. What happened to Tyler
0: Harrow? He He, stinks.
2: His shot looks awful right now. I mean, he has
1: looks like he has no confidence.
0: Has he been hanging out with Markel Fultz?
1: Oh, that's – Chad's playing with house money after the big shootout win. (laughs) Yeah, he's really laying laying (laughs) waste to everybody. Tyler Harrow stinks. No, he's 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 like,
0: what, eight for 25 (laughs) for something crazy from three? He can't throw it in the ocean right now. And that kid's too good of a shooter. To be struggling for a month and
2: a half. Yeah. Do you think UK fans are getting to the point where they are used to this though? With Cal, that like his now they are, hate it. I think they do too. But it's funny because it's like Cal's teams always start slow, always aren't as good as you expect them to be. My midseason, and then always end up way better by the end of the year. I think this team will follow a sim- similar trajectory, even though I don't think they're like making a Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight run. I mean, maybe Sweet Sixteen, but probably not farther than that. I just don't think they have a ton of upside this year. But like you know, they're going to get better, and yet UK fans are still going to freak out until that happens. Probably, right?
1: I would think so. Yeah, I think that's what UK fans do. I don't think it's quite a football school yet. I mean, though, Benny Snell is trying to make it one. I think all fans do that actually. Yeah, I and mean, Xavier I fans are doing the exact same thing right now. So it is what it is. Okay, gentlemen. Any final thoughts from either one of you? Anyone want to lead it off with some no, final thoughts? I, I'm, I'm pretty good today. I think I think I've said all I needed to say. Okay.
2: I'm. I'm happy for the Bearcat fans. I really am. I know they had a great week. They enjoyed talking to me. I want to say I am very happy. You all are so happy to be NKU. You have no idea how excited that <laughs> makes me to <laughs> that, like be part yeah. of the conversation, have you chirping <laughs> at me over NKU. So exciting. I love every – keep sending me those tweets. The I love meteoric it. NKU rise also, continues even in a lot. everyone who wants me to be assaulted every time I go into Fifth Third Arena, it's wild to me that none of you want to do it yourself. You always need someone else to run up on me and assault me. <laughs> Crazy to me, but I appreciate you just the same. <laughs> and
0: nobody hit me up. I was two seats down. They sat us close. We were in the same row. Oh, boy. Couple. Yeah, but we had
2: the stalwart Adam Baum in between us. And Justin el- Berg. Elder offensive line fame, so he wasn't and, getting past that. And Justin Berg.
1: I, I don't want to mess with him. He's weird. Take me out. And <laughs> You guys have just security everywhere watching your back. <laughs> No, I've got no one on my side. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> no one has my back. Not even my friends. You know that. Well, in any case, uh, it is it is nice to see. Someone NKU. tried to steal your spot in the
0: media room yeah.
1: with your name on it. They
0: just put their bag down right on Rick's spot.
2: Wow. Oh well. Flex. What, what, are, what are you, you going to do?
1: Flexed on left and right. I just ate a coney around it. I don't care. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks for letting me pinch hit on this skinny podcast as we recap the crosstown shootout and so much more. You did good. There was Appreciate less Jeff. less
2: yelling and we weren't interrupted nearly as yeah, much. Yeah. Well, this is weird getting out complete thoughts before someone starts talking <laughs> again. I don't
1: Well, I'm I just was attempting to facilitate you guys can carry the podcast. We need a point guard. Justin. You, you are the
2: Justin Jennifer of podcast host. Good work. <laughs> Seven hey, points, nine assists. I'm gonna, one gonna be
1: added over. to that graduation rate for UC. They just continue to keep guys graduating and Justin Jennifer and Kane Broom are the next in line that's all I was trying to do was graduate here well there you go on this podcast thanks so much happy to pinch it for Richard Skinner on the skinny podcast sponsored by Joseph infinity Rick and skinny will be back midweek with a potpourri edition podcast and these guys will be back next weekend to recap X and UC and so much more in the college basketball world in the tri state thanks so much guys